Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Titus here with my co-hosts Thomas and Travis, and we have a special guest. He's been on the podcast already. Um, you guys have heard it. If you haven't, if you're new to the podcast, go check it out. Uh, my buddy Matt Conley. Um, well, where are you living right now, Matt? Are you in Idaho, right? I'm in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, yes. Okay, sweet. Beautiful place. So what we talked about on that episode, and I'd, I'll have to look it up and tell you guys what number it was, but we talked about flying uh, Blackhawks in Afghanistan. And that was a really, really good podcast. In fact, Matt, you don't believe me, I know, but we actually had a lot of downloads. That was probably one of our more popular podcasts on this podcast. So it was just really cool to hear your story and the struggle that you had. Um, that was episode 47, if anybody wants to listen. But anyways, so um, we could do a little bit of an introduction. I don't think we need to do much since you're already on here. You guys can go back and check that out. But me and Matt became really good friends. Uh, in 2013, I believe, but while we were getting ready for deployment, we went to Afghanistan together and we talked about that in the other podcast. But today, Matt was also a city cop in Minnesota and he has some bizarre, crazy stories and I told him he has to come back on to tell everybody and share it. So Matt, why don't you first uh, just introduce yourself and you already said where you're from and then let's roll right into when you were in training um, kind of start there. Yeah, sure. Like uh, Titus said, um, Matt Conley. I was a officer with Minneapolis Police Department. I'm sure everyone listening has heard about what's going on there lately. So, um, kind of fortuitous that we're doing this now. I guess I don't know if that had anything to do with it, Titus or not. Are you still there right now? I'm not there, but I have been in contact uh, with 
a lot of my ex-partners and people I went through the academy with and friends since. Uh, how how long have happened. you been out of the the like the place? I left Minneapolis PD in October of 2019, so oh, wow. what, eight, eight months ago. Yeah, not that long ago. Perfect timing. No, I didn't do this, Matt, on purpose, but um, I actually haven't seen what was going on. I mean, I know what's going on with the cops stuff, but I didn't know about Minnesota, but yeah. Well, yeah, that's where it all started. Sorry to interrupt you, just curious. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. He was just saying he's sorry for cutting you off there for a second. But. Oh, yeah, no, min, min, Minneapolis is where... I mean, our current climate began, uh, what, a month and a half, two months ago now? Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't are know you, what, uh, I how, knew are, what how are your feelings on that? Are you, like, thankful you got out? Or are you indifferent? Or, or what's your feelings on it? I've been, I mean, not to be dramatic, but I've been an emotional mess pretty much since it happened. My feelings are, I, I feel like I abandoned you know, my partners, my friends, they were working nonstop for like, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, you know, watching their city burn down that they've um, bled for for years. And um, it's, it has been tearing me up. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm sure your reasons for leaving weren't ha any having anything to do with any of that, though. No, I left. My wife and I are from, well, I'm from Coeur d'Alene. My wife's from Tacoma, Washington, which is just, you know, the west side of Washington State, so pretty close to Coeur d'Alene here. Um, that's where we're both from, and we just had an opportunity to, to come home, if you will. Uh, and that's the only reason we left, was just to be closer to family, and back in the northwest had nothing to do with the job at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's jump into you uh, going through the academy, and then we'll kind of roll into some more stories if you can. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Um, let's see. So the whole reason I became a cop, or the whole process of going into it, was was rather um, backwards, I guess. The whole reason I went to Minnesota is because of Titus. Actually, he hooked me up with a job at Scott's Helicopter which is in Lesueur, Minnesota, just south of Minneapolis. So my wife and I moved right after the deployment that uh, Titus was just speaking about. I mean, almost weeks after we came back, I had been speaking with the owner of that place during the deployment. We moved out to Minnesota. My wife happened to be going to grad school, so she applied and was accepted into University of Minnesota. So that's why we moved into Minneapolis instead of down to Lesueur, so she could go to school. And the job I was doing was a lot of travel anyway, so we could basically live wherever we wanted. Um, so I took that job to fly, and I ended up not flying. Um, it's a whole other story. So then yeah. I was looking for another. <laughs> I you was got, looking for. You got ripped on that one. But yeah, go well, ahead. Well, I wouldn't say I got ripped. It just was bad timing. You yeah. know, he had enough pilots. But yes, yeah, another story. But anyways, um, in the meantime, I was in the guard. You know, I transferred to the Minnesota Guard. And I was looking for a job, and one of one of the pilots I had made good friends with said, "Why don't you come be a, a police officer?" And I never really thought about it before. You know, I'm a little older at the time; I was already what thirty-five or thirty-six, somewhere in there. So I talked to my wife about it, and was like, "You know, I've always wanted to. The whole reason I joined the army was to do public service stuff. Um, I'm still flying in the guard. Here's kind of an interesting opportunity." But I knew it was a long application process. 
So it's kind of like, all right, well, I'll just start the process. I blew it, guys. Hold on. Did you just hang up on him? Yeah, we're still recording. I'm going to keep it live. But just for the sake, I'm, I get lazy editing. <laughs> Sorry if that was me. No, that was me, dude. Sorry. He does that to okay. me all the time, too. <laughs> so go ahead. Where'd you lose me? Um, how you, the application you process. You talked to your wife about joining oh. the police for it, yeah. Okay. Yep. So it was. I knew it was gonna be a long application process because you have to do, you know, background check, physical, uh, written tell, all this stuff to to make it in. So I just thought, okay, why not start? You know what I mean? Why not just throw my hat in the ring, see what happens? And I kept just making the next step, making the next step. Pretty soon, I'm in the chief's interview, which is kind of the last step. So I'm sitting in the office with the with the current Minneapolis police chief, and she's giving me an interview. And it was kind of at that moment where I, I was like, oh, you know, I want to do this. Like now I'm invested. Now I want to, I want it to happen. Before that, I was just kind of going step to step without really seeing yeah. the future, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few weeks after that, they gave me my conditional job offer, which was conditional upon a long background check. And I think you probably had to do a security clearance. Right, Titus? Yeah. Yeah, very similar to that. Like mm-hmm. pages and pages and pages of where have you lived? How long have you lived there? Name yep, five yep. people that knew you when you were there and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then they go and talk to all those people. <laughs> oh, wow. They really talked to him, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. People called me like, hey, the so-and-so from Minneapolis PD called us the other day. What's up? <laughs> like, are you okay? Because <laughs> uh, cause some people I didn't even, you know, I didn't tell because I didn't really think that they would. Like, And I was like, oh, shoot, sorry. Yeah, I applied to be a cop. And they're like, what? Anyways, so you're catching um, up with all these people. You haven't even talked yeah. to them a long time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry to drop it on you like this that I'm living in Minnesota, but. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the I passed the background check. Um, then I had to go do a uh, psych, psychological exam, which was interesting. And then I think that was the last thing. That was the last step. Once that, once I passed that, then. Um, they gave me the, okay, everything's good. And now your Academy starts in March of, and now the dates, I just came up with all these dates the other day. I think March of 2016. Oh, wow. It was the Academy. I didn't know you were that long in that. Yeah. You're like three years in, huh? Yeah. I thought it was two. Yep. 16, but, okay. 17, 18, 19, yep. I mean, technically I only did two years on the street cause I deployed for another year in there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah. since, so now you're starting the Academy and it's, what was day one like? Um, was it as bad, day as, one was, was it as bad as boot camp or not so bad? No, it's not like that at all. You know, they sent out this long letter. So we have to have all this stuff before we go, you know, um, like PT or uh, physical training shirts that have your name on the front mm-hmm. and Minneapolis police Academy on the back. And it has to be certain size lettering and certain colors, et cetera, et cetera. And we just have to have that all done on our own when we show up day one. And then there's a uniform you wear during the day. Uh, it's not the same uniform that the cops wear on the street, obviously, but, but you had to have that ready, but you showed up day one, just wearing like uh, business clothing, not business casual, like a, like a full, um, and they give specific instructions. They wanted you in a full collared shirt, you know, long sleeve shirt, slacks, loafers or you know appropriate footwear not in the uniform that they had you 
purchase and have mm-hmm. ready. So the first day was all kind of uh, just PowerPoint stuff. You know, here's mm-hmm. what we're going to be doing. Here's how we, you know, expect you to act. Because people going in there, they, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say military, but loosely based on the military, you know, mm-hmm. when um, you say yes, sir, or yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Um, you know, they just teach you how to speak when you're talking to either instructors or just people that happen to be in the academy area. Because the, the academy's held just in a Minneapolis PD building. And so there's lots of just regular cops that have nothing to do with the academy going through there. There's civilians in there because that's where they run their uh, Minneapolis PD does like a sports program with the community. That's where they run their sports program out of. So there's a lot of non academy affiliated folks in there. So they just tell you how to, how to deal with all that and you know what they expect from you and, and just a big outline of, of the coursework and when you graduate and what happens after you graduate and all that stuff. So that, that was day one. Day two was what you would consider more of a, a boot camp kind of deal. We met out at uh, Fort Snelling, which is our uh, Army Air Force full-time base there in Minneapolis and so- in South Minneapolis. And they have a little area where the, where the full-time Marines are. And that was more, you know, the we're, mar- we're learning how to march. We're in our regular uniform that we purchased and, mm-hmm. you know, learning how to shine boots and all that stuff. You had to have your boots polished every day. Your uniform had to be pressed every day. Um, no, I forget what they call it, but any threads hanging off, if you had any of those. So every day, not every day, but most days they'd line you up and do a uniform inspection. Mm-hmm. And they'd check your boot military style, you know, they look at your boots and they look up your pants, make sure that your, your gig line, you know, your belt is in line with your buttons, mm-hmm. things, things that most people of our age just know how to do, but yeah. <laughs> you have to teach some people. Um, and my boots were never polished good enough. I was known actually as the, as the poorly polished boot guy. <laughs> I just, uh, I just couldn't rationalize spending uh, 50, you know, 50 minutes to an hour every night polishing my boots. So I just, I polish them, but enough so that they could yell at me and not give me a gig. <laughs> or you totally fell. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, the so second day was kind of what you were thinking of as a, as a day one. Mm-hmm. And then how, how it was for me was I was what was considered a cadet. So I had no law enforcement background. And no, so in in Minnesota, you have to have a degree, a college degree to become a police officer. Oh, wow. So a cadet, me, has a degree, but not in law enforcement and no law enforcement background. So it was a little longer course, and we had to go through a local uh, junior college to obtain that specific law enforcement degree. So the first quarter or half, I don't remember exactly how long, we spent three days a week at a college uh, going through their law enforcement coursework. And then the other two days of the week, we'd be at Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis's uh, cadet or training headquarters doing Minneapolis specific stuff there. Uh, And a lot of it was coursework. A lot of it was once we had the courses out of the way and had an idea of what law enforcement was about, then we started doing scenarios, Mm -hmm. um, I think towards the end of the academy, every Thursday was scenario day. So all day you're just going in with a partner or sometimes by yourself into a room and you don't know what's going to be there and you just have to react as you would 
a police officer, you know, yeah. so, they tell you like, Hey, you know, dispatch calls you and tells you a, B and C, you don't know anything else. Go down to room one Oh two. You'd rock, walk into room one Oh two and boom, scenario hits. Right. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, that was a constant, constant thing we had to did do. Did you find and those whole, hard or difficult? Yeah, I did because I'm not a good performer, I guess. I'm not like, you know what I mean? Like I don't, <laughs> I don't do well and I know people are watching me and critiquing me and it felt a little bit like acting, oh, you know, and gotcha. you don't, especially when you don't know exactly how they want you to react and they debrief you every time afterwards and you're going to screw up. They want you to screw up, but mm-hmm. I hate screwing up, you know, they want yeah. you to learn something. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you exactly. You feel like you did better, you know, not in the testing room, but like real life situations. Um, at first, no, but eventually, yes, because you can just kind of be yourself. You know, and that's funny too because uh, we started, you know, we started wearing cameras. That, that was kind of new when I graduated the academy. So, mm-hmm. really, you're being watched all the time because everything mm-hmm. you do is on camera. But for some reason, that didn't mess with me mentally. Like having uh, teachers in the classroom evaluate me did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it's really the same thing, if not worse, because now everything on my camera can be shown to the public when I screw up. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, so the whole the whole academy culminated months later. So it was what about six months um, in November. It culminated with a just a week of they call it uh, shoot what they call it. I don't remember it. It had a name, but anyway, it's just. You, you go at, in the afternoon actually show up at four. So it's like going on an afternoon shift of, of being a real cop. And now they have you wearing your real uniform, your um, bulletproof vest, everything, full belt. Mm. And it's just 10 hours of scenarios for four days. And then on the fifth day is graduation. If you, you know, if you make it wow. through that. So a lot of, was there a lot of running and a lot of PT? During the regular academy, we PT'd, um, except for the three days we were at the junior college. Those days, sometimes we'd PT in the afternoon, like if a teacher said someone showed up without a uniform or someone uh, was late or, you know, something like that. Then they'd capital come punishment. And, yep, quote-unquote smoke us at the end of the day. But, yeah. like, actual designed PT we did on the two days of, of the uh, Minneapolis-specific academy. And then once we were done with the junior college, which is Hennepin up in tech. Once we were done with that, then we PT'd at least four days a week in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what was going on. Was it but seven yeah, days a week, nice. Matt, or five, six? What was, was five days a week in Minneapolis. So you went home every night. Oh, nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But you were really studying nice. your rear end off probably pretty much, right? Oh yeah. Every, every night you had homework and then you had tests and then, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, they'd assign, Additional, like we had this workbook we had to complete. No, I'm sorry. That was in field training. The the workbook was field training. But yes, lots of, I mean, I didn't know really anything about, (laughs) which is sad, but anything about really the Fourth Amendment. I don't know what just happened there. There it is. We lost you. I don't. Oh, you know what? My wife started her car, and somehow it tried to connect with the Bluetooth. Ah, uh, yes. But we caught the. We pretty much caught the end of that. Okay. So you did ten hours for 
10 hours a day in your full garb the last four days right before graduation with solid scenarios? Yes. And did you, was that something you were tested on? And if you didn't pass it, you were booted and started over? Or was everybody at that point pretty solid? I'm not exactly sure how they, everyone had a sheet on them with, with ratings, but I never actually saw that sheet. Uh, you had to carry it around with you from scenario to scenario and they'd fill it out. Mm-hmm. But but I wasn't looking at it in between, if that makes sense, just because you're thinking about what you just did and now what you're about to do. I didn't want to waste time. I got you. Looking at how I did, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that we didn't lose anybody during that week, but I don't know specifically how you were graded, mm-hmm. or if that's even if that's kept on file. You know, like like say, uh, maybe I don't want to get into that, but like say. <laughs> <laughs> so you're say so you're in a scenario where you're the, the point of the scenario is to push you into using force right or a take a takedown of some kind like uh, someone's resisting arrest or something right and mm-hmm. say a cadet went a little bit crazy you know I they went you. a little a little high they high sided if you will in mm-hmm. Blackhawk terms yeah. <laughs> um, if they mark that down and keep it on file for you know for later I don't know hmm. that's interesting. Anything crazy happening before we move on to one, your first day on the street? Anything cra- crazy happen in uh, the academy? Any story or anything? Um, the academy to me was was eye opening in in law, primarily in law. That's where mm. where I did most of my learning. Obviously, a lot in you know how police are expected to interact with the public and. Yeah and maintaining officer safety, for example, like, you know, I'd already lived 36 years of my life. And when I go talk to someone, I'm, I guess be considered a close talker, you know, and you and I talk, it'd be right. outside of COVID guidelines anyway, mm. you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it, you, just, you just walk up to someone and start talking, you put your hands in your pocket and you don't think about it. Right? right. But as a police officer, you can't do that. You need to maintain distance. Your hands always need to be out and visible, not only, for you so that you know that I can use my hands for whatever I need to protection, whatever right away, but also for whoever you're talking to. So they know that what you're thinking, you know, if you have your hands in your pocket, you kind of look like a slob. If you have your hand resting on your gun, well, that looks a little aggressive, Uh, you know, just, just little stuff like that that that. you wouldn't really think about. Yeah. Is that kind of like etiquette a little bit, maybe something like, I mean, maybe that's not the right word, but yeah, they, they term it, Officer presence, and presence. that was okay. one of the major grading points for any scenario. We did officer presence, officer safety. Um, you know, just how you interact with uh, an individual. Can you can you just have a conversation? Because some of the scenarios weren't all. You know, you're showing up at a shooting, or you're showing up at a domestic. Some of them were just ambiguous, like, "Hey, you're going to do a welfare check." That's all you know. Hmm. So there might, you know, very well, you're just going to talk to someone and find something out. There's no like you're not supposed to go in with a you're always as an officer you need to have awareness of what's going on around you right because it could be a setup or you know whatever yeah. whoever called 911 didn't give you the whole story right but yeah. you don't need to be aggressive all the time so you just need to be able to have conversations with people and figure out what's going on and a lot of the time it's a it's a calm cool collected like even joking a little bit you know let's loosen the mood or lighten mm. the mood kind of deal you know you're not always supposed to be a robot, if you will. So I gotcha. a lot of it was, yeah, just learning how to, how to interact communicate and, and interact. Yeah. Communicate. Exactly. Yeah. Which sometimes us as humans aren't the best at always. 
That's for sure. I think I would find myself mad if, you know, if, if say a scenario came across, you know, you'd go into that. I mean, there would be a tendency to go into it with a certain mindset based upon the information that you obtained. And, um, you know, being able to step back from that, like you said, and, and look at the whole picture and then, you know, try to, that initial contact probably says a lot about how, you know, the scenario could play out. Right. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. That initial contact is going to set the tone for you and whoever you're dealing with, be it, be it a suspect or a victim or uh, whoever, you know, just a witness. Yeah. Uh, that, that first contact is very important. So you get done with the academy, you have your graduation. How soon after that did you start um, with being on the street and getting set up? And st- or, well, how soon was that? What was that gap like? Was it pretty quick? It was different for every cadet. Some started the next day. I had one of the bigger windows. I had four days before I met with <laughs> Not my much. And my, no, no, no. <laughs> huh. Okay, yeah, so but, so what was day one on the force? Now you're meeting your FTO. Let's start there. <laughs> this, is, this is where it all gets very. Just yeah. Let her let it fly, man. Training day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I mean, picture training day. That's I was not at all prepared for my day one. Um, I so I'll just I'll just break it down or give you a little background. Minneapolis is broken into five precincts. I was placed in the fourth precinct to start on middle watch, middle watch being uh, 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. So kind of the busiest time frame, pretty much in any precinct. Every precinct's a little different. Definitely the busiest time in the fourth precinct. And fourth precinct is the north side of Minneapolis and kind of their, not kind of, it's their low income area. So a lot, of, a lot of crime there. There's two precincts that have the most crime in the city, in the fours and threes, and I was in fours. That's where I started. So I show up, you know, obviously super early, put on all my gear, actually make sure my boots are nice and polished for this day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, looking sharp, new haircut, etc. I go into roll call. Every day starts with roll call and I sit down and I was told, luckily someone told me that you sit the recruits. So now I'm considered a recruit, not a cadet anymore or a boot. They call you, um, sit at the front table and roll call, you know, and you just sit there and you don't talk and that's spoken to kind of thing. So I sit down and I think I was the only recruit on that night. Usually there's a couple. So you you at least have a, a buffer <laughs> so someone else they can mess with. Right. But I think it was just me. And so the, the sergeant comes in and he just starts a normal roll call. Like, like nothing, like just a normal night. And I was like, cool, they're not going to mess with me. Right. And then he calls my name and he's looking around the room pretending like, where are you? Where are you? And I raise my hand here, sir. I think I actually stood up. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> Here I am. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it starts asking me a bunch of questions. Tell me about yourself. And no one wants to hear about the recruit, you know, so I'm trying to keep it, you know, short, sweet, to the point. And just graduated. Here I am, you know, excited about my first night, that kind of thing. Um, and then just kind of some other cops have some comments about, you know, background or, you know, city. You know, you know how they are. They're just messing with you. Similar to military stuff. And so I, he... I sit back, I did stand up, I sit back down 
and he tells me who my field training officer is going to be, my FTO. And I look back, and of course, it's the meanest looking dude in the room. <laughs> um, I want. Do you know I, now? Do guys? Do certain guys request to to be training officers, or or does it put them in a bad mood to even have to do it? So field training officers, for the most part, are either volun they volunteer or they're voluntold voluntold because they've been on the force a little bit longer and their sergeant knows that they're a good cop. Mm -hmm. The sergeant knows that they're going to pass on mm -hmm. uh, good techniques. Because being a police officer, you're on your own, man. You know, you're just out there doing your own thing. And if you're, you can write as many tickets or shoot your gun as many times as you want, as long as you can justify it, right? So um, <laughs> they want guys that are going to pass on good habits, uh, mm -hmm. you know, good, good officer safety, good officer presence, you know, they're good, um, good teachers, good teachers, good, you know, they know their geography real well. That's a big thing. Obviously being able to, you know, a call comes in and you know how to go there without looking it up on Google or on your, your police map, which those are suspect, but, um, they, they want well-rounded cops to be FTOs. Now, a lot of times, like when I was coming out, they were hurting for cops and, they had a lot of, lot of academies and people were just coming out of the academy left and right. And I happened to be kind of in the middle of that. So my FTO was tired of doing it, you know, cause you're not, right. it's fun being with your partner. Like when you're working with your partner, it's fun. You're just, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to teach somebody. Yeah. You're not yeah. teaching. You're not constantly you're not, watching you, your, yeah, right. yeah. You, you know, your partner has your back. You don't know what I'm going to do as a, as a new recruit. Right. So, you're just a little more at ease when you're just that guy's not partner. always having to watch you make mm -hmm. sure you're not getting into something that you shouldn't be or whatever or doing exactly something wrong. exactly yep um but it's a little extra pay for them and i guess that's really the only incentive you know but except that they know that they're grooming the future if you will so uh my my guy took that grooming the future very seriously and and he he was hard on me. I thought he hated me. In fact, I was with him for a month. They they move you around precincts and FTOs just so you learn a little bit of everything. But I was with uh, my first FTO for a little over a month, and uh, he was very hard on me. And, and until a couple of years later on the force, I, I thought he hated me up until that point. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, he he was tough on me, but I appreciated that. And you know, I still think he was he was probably my best FTO and definitely a, a good cop, the kind of cop you want on the street. Did, did you guys ever talk later and he just kind of tell you, or is that just an unspoken thing that, you know, he liked you or, you know, like, I mean, did you ever guys ever? Um, so once I moved on from the fourth precinct, well, I guess I did go back there for my first assignment. Um, but I never really interacted with him much after that. Yeah, I was, I was, I'd still be scared of him if I was on the street today. But <laughs> <laughs> just because uh, he was your FTO, basically, huh? Yeah. Well, that. I mean, he's a stern, stern dude. You know. How old a guy was he? He's younger than me, I think. Really? By a couple of years. But yeah, his he was an army sniper. So I'll just jump into the first night. It'll give you a good background of him. So, okay. so roll call ends. I'm sitting at the front desk. I stand up. And now I'm kind of like, well, shoot, what do I do? You know, just walk out to the car. Like, 
walk to the squad. What, what do I do now? I didn't really know. So I'm just kind of standing there and he walks up and he says, go prepare the shotgun. Uh, pre-flight, they don't call it pre-flight. I forget what they call it, but pre-flight the squad and I'll meet you out there in 10. And that was it. That's all he said. I'm like, okay, no introduction or anything. So I go out there, I, you know, you know, every, every day when you go on shift, our squads are just reused um, day after day after day. They're not assigned to one mm-hmm. individual. So they're, they're in all around. states of disarray when you, when you go prep it for your shift, you know, the mm-hmm. computer could be on or someone else could still be logged in or there's garbage everywhere or someone puked in the back and they didn't clean it up, you know, that wow. kind of, so, so you have to go out there and make sure it's square and ready. All the lights work and the, you know, it's just like pre-flight in an aircraft, mm-hmm. just not as big. Um, so I went out and did all that, and so, so I'm waiting for him, and he comes out, and he's like, all right, so let, let me back up real fast. So in Minneapolis, for the most part, they're, they're two-people squads, so two cops per squad car. And the the driver is kind of um, just the contact officer, if you will. So the passenger, like if you're going to call, the passenger is the one making contact with someone, obviously if there's a lot going on, then you both interact. But like, say you, say you, one of you guys just called 911 and you just want to talk to a cop. So there's just one of you, right? Mm-hmm. When we went up, the passenger would go talk to you and the, gotcha. the driver would be contact. So he's watching your back. Mm-hmm. And that was taught to us in the Academy. So I knew all that, but so I, so, um, my FTO comes out and he says, all right, sit down, shut up. I don't expect anything out of you tonight if I ask you for help, help me. But right. But basically you're just an armed escort or an armed ride along tonight. Mm-hmm. He said, so when we turn on the computer, I already had the computer on logged in, right? Cause you have to log in with your specific. So we, each squad has a number and that's mm-hmm. how, that's how dispatch calls you up and sends you up to where they want you to go. So you have to log in with that number and who, what cops are in the squad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's like, I don't, don't do any of that. And I'd never seen that computer before. It wasn't part of the Academy. We didn't, you know, they, they didn't have that program in any of the classrooms and it just would have been too much of a pain to even try to teach that. So that's the first time I'd even seen the computer. So basically he tells me you're just an armed ride along tonight, but the computer's on and you can see all the pending 911 calls and there. This became normal, but it, at this point I didn't know. There are like, 30 or 40 calls in the queue already. And we've just signed on. Oh my goodness. And there's only, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, six to seven squads, depending on the night. And I don't remember exactly how many were on this night, but I'm going to say it's usually the minimum. So six, right? So we, we just start take, he, we just go and take a couple calls. So the first few calls are just kind of clearing, clearing things up because for some reason, Minneapolis Day Watch ends at the same time that Middle Watch begins. So they they go, go home, and this we have like a while we're in roll call. Basically, there's no coverage. Oh wow! So that's why those um, the pending calls stack up so uh-huh. so bad. <clears throat> so we're clearing these, clearing them up. We clear up four or five, and as a recruit, we're going all over the precinct. Usually, each squad has its own little district within the precinct. So unless it's it's a major, major, like, priority one call, you wouldn't leave your little district because then it would be uncovered, right? Mm-hmm. But as a recruit, we were going everywhere just so I can see everything. 
And I didn't even realize that was how it was going, but I was like, holy cow, we were taking a lot of calls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so then, um, one of, one of the, my, my FTO's regular partner sends him a message. You can like text each other on the, on the computer in your squad car, sends him a message like, Hey, meet me at the Burger King on Broadway in 10 minutes or whatever. And we're like, okay, cool. We just, we just cleared up. Like finally we're, we're about two hours, three hours into the shift. We finally cleared the board. All the pendings are gone. You know, it's just onesie twosie coming in now. So, all right, we're, we're free. We go, we meet him at the Burger King and they, um, come up with a plan that they're going to go to this known area of um, where drug dealers like to hang out and gamble. And we're going to go there. He knew the other cop knew they were out there. So we're going to go do like a, you know, we're going to go bust them basically. So I'm like, okay, like I'm listening to their whole, so we had uh, my squad. So me and my FTO, my FTO's normal partner and his, now new partner and then a third squad. So, so six total cops, three squad cars, and they come up with basically, you know, like a quick sand table, if you will, you know, how it would be in the military, quick sand table of how we're going to go execute this, uh, this shakedown basically. Right. So my head's spinning like, cause they're just blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm like, wait, wait, what? You know? And then, and then off we go. And he has me driving at this point. So he's kind of telling me where to go. Um, you know, I had to have studied my geography, so I have an idea, but you know, it's coming so hot and heavy. Like my head is seriously spinning. So he'd have to like, take it right here, you know, kind of deal. So he's kind of talking me in and we were going to go to inter- one of the intersections and the other two were going to go to two different intersections. So we had them surrounded basically. So we show up and sure enough, here are these guys that are shooting dice on the side of the street. And as soon as they see us, they go to run. Um, and instinct just kind of kicked in. I chased one down, you know, once I caught him, like I kind of grabbed him from behind, he just kind of gave up. So I put him in handcuffs and everyone's running. And so pretty soon we all come back together and we all, we all have handcuffed a couple guys and some just stayed put, you know, just stayed sitting there. And those are the ones you have to watch out for, by the way. But, um, so, so we come back together to, the central location and we have a few guys handcuffed okay and so but now that i've that i've chased and caught a guy i don't really know what to do with the guy i have in custody <laughs> got one <laughs> yeah i'm all excited and like, oh, shoot, like legally why did i do that right like i don't know that i i can i can't arrest him like i have no reason right anyway so um my fto tells me to put him in the back of our squad and he's going to go around and do interviews. He's like, just just stay put with this guy and watch him. And there's all these protocols when you have someone in custody you have to have. And this was before we had uh, body cameras. That didn't come out until like a month into my FTO, I don't think. So we have to have the squad camera on and audio on and all these things so that now if we do anything inappropriate, it's caught on camera. If they do anything inappropriate, it's caught on camera, right? So I'm, I'm staying with this guy and the other cops are, I mean, shaking these guys down and searching cars and like there's money and cell phones. And I think a couple of guns. And then he comes back over. He's like, Hey, go look in this yard. I think there's, they stashed a couple of guns and let me, let me back up and say that in Minneapolis, it's illegal to, to have a gun on your person without a, without a uh, permit. It's not mm-hmm. an open carry state or city. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I searched, I didn't find one, but the other cops found a couple guns. So now we have guns, we have drugs, we have money, we have phones. And I'm just like, wow, what, what just happened and why? And <laughs> mm-hmm. so anyway, I go back to the squad and now, now we have a big issue to figure out. Right. So, cause yeah, anytime you arrest anyone, you have to write a report, you have to have, enter things into evidence. So we, we, we're doing all these things. Well, they are, I'm just kind of staying with my guy kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. So I go back with my guy and he's like, Hey man, I, I have to pee. And I was like, Oh man, this is something I never thought of when I was in the Academy. What do you do when you have <laughs> someone in custody? He's got to pee. <laughs> so I go up to my FTO and I ask, him, he's like, you're, you're bugging me with this. Like, like leave me alone. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. So basically we don't care. Like, you're right. This dude is, suspect of doing some kind of major crime we can't just let him out of cuffs and go pee in the fence line right Right. go into someone's house so these these things that you'd think i'd Mm. know were just kind of hitting me as we went you know um so anyway they clear everything up we have to take we end up taking this guy to jail because he had drugs and a gun on him and the whole reason they did the whole roundup to begin with is because he was on what we called the daily information brief which I didn't know what that was at the time, uh, but for an uh, what was assault two, for I think it was a stabbing. So he's going to jail. Um, but this specific call took over an hour and a half, and he pisses himself in the back of the squad on the way down to jail. On the way to jail, just kind of a funny side note: you have to log into the jail's website to fill out all the information, like his name, his address, birth date. You know, what are you arresting him for? What's, what's the, what statute are you arresting him for? In a, a little, quick little write-up as to why. And that has to be all filled out and submitted to the deputy, which you can do all electronically, but submitted because uh, um, the county, Hennepin County, runs our jail. So it's, it's run by deputies, not Minneapolis police. Mm-hmm. So that has to all be submitted electronically before we show up at jail for them to even let us in the door, basically. <clears throat> I didn't know that. I had no idea. So now he's driving again. He, he wants me to log in. I don't have a login to the Hennepin County um, um, e-booking is what they mm-hmm. called it. I, I didn't have never even heard of it. I didn't have a login for it. So he's all pissed off because now we have these guys. We're trying to take them to jail. We have to book evidence into, um, into the evidence room, which is at City Hall. And now the calls are pending up again because we were involved in this for, for an hour and a half, two hours. So now calls are just pending like crazy again. So he's all fired up. I can't log in. He's yelling at me. We're driving. I'm typing. He's, he jerks the car to the side of the road says, you drive. I'll figure this out. So I go back over. I start driving. Well, I don't know where the jail is. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. <laughs> so I just kind of start heading downtown because I know where that is, and I know that's where we're going. But in, in, a, in a meek little, just picture like a meek little mouse voice as he's typing away, and his passwords aren't <laughs> working either. So he's more and more frustrated. I'm like, can you, can you tell me how to go to the jail? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? You don't know where the jail is? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm not from talk- around here. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm, I'm not from here. <laughs> oh, man, it was, it was terrible. So he's, I'm sweating bullets. He's yelling at me, take a right, take a left. Do you know where you are now? No. You know, just... <laughs> And and it's it's about as far as you could be from fourth precinct, of course. Mm. So anyway, we finally make it down there, and we book this guy. We book him into jail, 
and then we go back out. Um, and so this all was taking place right around dusk. And we go back out, and it's fully dark now. Oh, let's see what was. Yeah, so the next call we're going we're going back out there, and and some some other fourth precinct cops had pulled over a guy who they who had. So when you run a license, it'll tell you who the registered owner, or when you run a license plate, it'll tell you who the registered owner of the car is, and then all the information on the registered owner of the car. Well, this registered owner had a, had a felony warrant for his arrest, which happened fairly frequently, fairly frequently on the north side, or fourth precinct. So we rushed to go there because he, in hindsight, he wanted me to see what a felony stop was. At the time, I didn't know why. I just thought. Oh man, this is a big deal. We're in a, we're in a hurry, you know. Lights and sirens. We're we're cruising. Um, well, let me, let me back up. Sorry, I, I skipped a meeting, a big part of of how it was for me on the, that call I was just describing or that incident I was just describing. So I thought going in night one that you just kind of drive as a cop, you just kind of drive around, re- respond to a couple nine one one calls, help some people, and, and maybe once <laughs> in your career you'll have an incident where you need to pull your gun. Like that's really what I thought. That maybe Wait, a couple people. <laughs> yep. At some point in 20 years, I might have to pull out my gun because of a, you know, there's an active shooter or something. <laughs> well, the previous incident, we showed up, like I said, there were, there were uh, guns and when they were running, they were reaching, the people running were reaching in their pockets for guns. So all of a sudden all the cops around me, they all have their guns out. I'm like, Oh crap. So I pull mine out. You just cause, you know, first call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just so I don't look like the fool without it or something goes down. <laughs> so now I'm what an hour and a half into my first shift. And that, mm. that's, that's the first time I've had it out. Right. Wow. And we find a bunch of guns at that call. Okay. So now fast forward to this one so that they have the felony stop completed by the time we show up. But <clears throat> excuse me, when I show up, they say, Oh, rookies here. Hey, we need this car searched. Mm. Go search the car. Rook. You know, I'm like, cool. And there's a lot of cop. I think, a lot of cops here. I think some of our gang unit was there because there's some plainclothes guys that were there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I go and they just let me do it by myself, which usually you do with your partner or a couple other cops, but I'm just on my own. So I go up there and it's dark and I don't have gloves, which after this incident, you'll, I realized that I need some gloves. Um, the department provides latex gloves that you can, bring with you you know they have them in a little supply room or whatever but i hadn't even grabbed any of those and most cops which i wasn't noticing yet wear, you know just some type of just a work glove if you will like a thin work glove when they're when they're dealing with something so anyway i go up to this car i have no gloves on and it's dark so i have my flashlight and my hands and i'm digging through the car you know you're digging under the seat you're looking under floor mats floorboards looking in the glove box and this is not the cleanest car. This might be the dirtiest car I've ever seen in my life already. There's uh, hair, um, garbage, food, cigarette butts. I mean, you name it, it's in the car. And I'm just digging through it with my hands, you know, because basically it feels to me like the whole department is just standing back there watching me. So mm-hmm. they have the three occupants of the car in custody, and they're just waiting for me to search the car and see if I find anything. <clears throat> So I'm digging through all this stuff, like touching things that are wet. Um, mm. But but I, and every time I look somewhere else, I'm like, here's going to be the drugs. You know, like this is going to be my big time to shine, right? <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> 
or like, here's going to be the gun. Like I'm super excited to find something and there's nothing ever there. And I'm like, Ooh, here, look at this cubby. I bet no one looked in here. Here's it here. It's going to be in here and there's nothing there. I'm like, dang it. So I've, I've looked at this whole car and I reach under the seat and there's a, the, the last seat, a uh, passenger seat is the only place I hadn't looked was underneath that seat. And I reach under there and there's a big purse, female purse. So I pull the purse out, put it aside, look under the seat, nothing else under there. So I take the purse. I'm like, okay, jackpot. This is a huge purse. It's heavy. There's going to be so many drugs in here. <laughs> so I start taking things out of the purse and nothing, 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 you know, just normal stuff. But like there, but I reach in, there's like a pile of, pull out a pile of pubic hair. I mean, it's just, mm. it's, it's just gross. And this is all kind of picture it dark. I have a flashlight tucked under my arm. It's all kind of close to my <laughs> All up close to my face. <laughs> I can see you just with your flashlight shining on it in your hand, pulling it out of that purse. Yeah. Like <laughs> when it registers to you what it is. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, but I'm trying to keep a stone face because everyone's watching me. You're barehanded. You know, oh, yep, I'm, I'm stoic. <laughs> yep. So I finally I make it to the bottom of the purse, and there's a handkerchief. You know, like. Uh, like in the Wild West, they'd wear around to their face like a bandana, or you see now to the COVID stuff. Um, I'm like, all right, now, if there's going to be drugs, it's going to be wrapped in a bandana at the bottom of a purse, right? So I pull the bandana up. I have it inches from my face. Flashlight's kind of slipping under my arm, so I have to have it a little bit closer, you know, because I've been searching this whole purse. I'm holding it up <laughs> next to my face. I start unfolding it, and I notice... Um, a, a big red so it's green bandana and there's a big red spot mm. as i unfold which mm. i am be realizing that it's blood oh my God. and <laughs> i open yeah yep yep and that's where my where, where i am but i'm trying to, to yeah be to tough stay cool. mm. so I, un, I open it the rest of the way i mean seriously guys inches from my face i'm holding this thing now and there's a uh, female pleasure toy oh, God. wrapped in the blood soaked <laughs> bandana mm. no drugs oh. uh, no, no contraband of any kind oh. but I am now holding mm. this device <laughs> in, in my bare hands oh, inches from my face oh, dude. what was going through your mind at that moment why did I pick this job? Well, like you where's made the, the gloves? The, the, the <laughs> noise that you just made was uh, like I was feeling that in my gut, mm -hmm. and I was trying to hold it in and not throw up and just ruin my career on night one. You know, just looking mm -hmm. like a fool. People, only, people should not, take a second and think about you had no gloves and no mask, and people are wearing. Gloves and masks for Corona. If he ever was a time to need gloves and a mask, <laughs> yeah, it was when right. you were searching this car. So <clears throat> we, we pack it up. I tell them nothing in there, and I have a strong suspicion that they already knew that. Um, <laughs> I go back, and I, I sit down next to my FTO, and he's just sitting there. And he's just looking out the window. He doesn't say anything. And I look over at him, and I look back, and I look over at him, and I look back. And I look back over at him, and I'm like, uh, you got anything for me on that one? So he kind of critique every call, you know. He's like, mm -hmm. "Well, what did we learn?" And I said, "I, I don't know." But he said, "Wear bleeping gloves." <laughs> uh, I don't remember hearing that part of the story, but yeah, he figured. Oh man, dude, 
he said, tomorrow you show up here, you better have a pair of gloves. So he knew from the second I sat down in the squad, I didn't have any gloves. And he yeah. was just waiting. And apparently that was the perfect but if you time to bring But if up. you would have asked, he probably would let you have some, and, but just said, you know, don't forget him next time. But he he knew that you're trying to be the guy that's not going to bug him. You don't mm-hmm. have to. Yeah. So the, after that, the next day, I showed up with, you know, work gloves. Ten and pairs of gloves. I, I stuffed my pockets <laughs> with latex gloves. And for the rest of my time being a street cop, I would put on latex gloves at a minimum because we respond to all kinds of stuff. So if it was a certain genre of call, I had the latex gloves on, you know, in route. So they were ready to go as soon as we <laughs> jumped out. You know what I mean? So it was a good lesson, a rough one, but a good one. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just give one more example. And the night just kept, keep, kept going. I mean, my head is just literally spinning. Like I was physically dizzy from all the things we were doing, but I'll just give you one more clip from that night so we we respond to another uh, another felony stop so some one squad had pulled over a car and again and no I'm, i take that back it was a stolen vehicle so a cop pulled over a reported stolen vehicle and we ha- actually happened to be close this time so it wasn't just a teaching moment so we were the second squad on scene and at any felony stop which a stolen vehicle is and we like we did learn this at the academy but you come out guns drawn and then you're on the PA system and you talk the occupants of the car out. So you're not approaching the car. You talk the occupants out with the PA. Well, they weren't responding to the PA. <clears throat> Luckily we were the second squad. So I didn't have to do the PA cause that would have been embarrassing. But, um, so now we have four squad cars. So eight cops guns drawn down on this stolen vehicle with people inside that we can't see and they're not responding to our commands right so then the senior cop on scene which usually in a scene like that the senior cop kind of check i mean and any cop is can take command but usually the more senior one will you know so you don't have to think about it mm-hmm. and fourth precinct is really good about that you know but some precincts like you know it's kind of like well who's in charge here oh, there's six of us you want to be in charge you know what i mean but fourth was good about <clears throat> senior cop would take charge most of the time so someone has taken charge and they say, all right, approach the vehicle. Of course, I'm one of the, the approachers. So I have my gun drawn, approaching the, so it was a, a black, older suburban, like a, like 80s style suburban. Okay, so you could see a lot of movement in there. So unknown how many people were in there or what they were doing, but they'd been in there just sitting in there for about five to 10 minutes at this point. So who knows what they're doing or what they have done or what they have prepared. So we're approaching, I think they had what four of us approach two from my side. So it was on the driver's side and two from the uh, passenger side where, you know, we're sneaking up, sneaking, not sneaking and we're there, but uh, walking up slowly. So we're in, we're in an alley. If you can picture an alley uh, and there's fences to homes on both sides of us, kind of like this little city block homes, if you will. Um, so we approach at 45 from 45 degree angles from either side. And right when we, or I, am a couple steps for being able to reach for the door handle, like the door pops open, and this dude jumps out, like, to run. <clears throat> but I'm close enough, like I said, I could reach out. I was about to reach out and grab the handle, open it. So I'm pretty close. So he's by me, quickly, with this step out of the car, right? The, the guy, the cop behind me had enough time to kind of lunge and knock him off kilter. 
And then that gave cops that were still behind the line, if you will, back with the squad cars times to run out and catch him before, because he was going to try to jump the gate and go into one of these backyards. So they catch him. Well, the same thing happens on the other side, except not only does the rear passenger side jump out, so does the actual passenger. So they catch the rear passenger, but the front passenger takes like four or five steps, hits the fence on his side, hops it, and it's, you know, it's like a wood fence. You can't see through it. Hops it. He's over the fence, and we can't see him anymore. Another, so we have one in custody, or two in custody, I'm sorry, the one on my side, one on the other side. Two still in the car, and one that's running. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple cops take off after the guy that's running. We have cops stay with the ones in the car and immediately you can just see and like as soon as I looked in the car so so my guy runs he's tripped up caught now I resume focus back on the car because there's still three people in there and I can see guns there's one on the console and there's one on the driver's side door the driver is not in the driver's seat anymore he had moved somewhere else in the car so there's no one sitting in the driver's seat and I mean just visible guns and I was just like where, where am I? Like, what is going on here? So we take the three in the car into custody without incident, but now we're trying to find this other guy who, who made it out, you know, the driver's side. So we're guns drawn, basically going down an alley. Like you would picture, you know, a, a, a squad of infantry guys going through Fallujah, you know, like busting open gates, looking, you know, mm-hmm. kind of pop it, popping in there. Like, no, he's not in there. Keep going busting and popping in there. Um, and we set up a big perimeter. We called in canine. We never found the guy, but we did find a gun he was carrying was under some bushes, uh, three houses. What direction would that have been to the east of us? And yeah, I mean, that, that was pretty, the whole night was like that. And it was just blown you already, away. How many times you drew, did you draw your gun that first night? Six. Six wow. times. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there were so in in a lot of a lot of these type of calls would happen. Um, North Minneapolis has what's called shot spotter. So on the top of all the telephone poles, there's little speakers. And oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. I kind of told you about this, Titus. Um, yeah. If someone shoots their gun in North Minneapolis, anybody, those speakers pick it up, <clears throat> and there's so many of them they can triangulate within a block where it came from, and then obviously we're dispatched there wow that just shows that's, that's, that's how much crazy. gunshots going on that they would even put something like that in huh yes we we probably responded to those you know five or six of those and of course when you go to that you're you know you're coming in guns drawn because someone's physically actively shooting you know yeah. mm-hmm. what's bad too is i mean every situation that sounds like that you described that you're in there was a potential for someone to use their gun against you you know and you never know when that situation is and so you have to be on edge at all times, right? And but it's a split decision decision that you're going to have to make whether or not to you know, use force or not. And I don't think people really understand that sometimes. No, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't before that night. I was I went home that night and I sat on the couch. So shift ends at two. I think we actually worked a little overtime that night because it was so busy. So I was home at like three, not even four a.m. And I just sat on my couch like. I didn't turn the TV on. It was like my brain was doing the TV of what had just happened. And I was yeah, just sitting there playing it. It, it, it amazed. Like this is not at all what I thought was it would it, be. It was, was <laughs> it like a dream? You know, when something happens crazy, it's almost like a dream. 
Like it's yeah. not real or something. That's probably how you felt, huh? Yeah, and I was telling my wife the next day some of the stuff, and she was just like, "Wow, I, I had no idea." And and my my wife, she, I'm her second marriage. She was married to a cop before me in Tacoma, and she's like, I, "He never told me any stories like that." And I was like, "Really? Minneapolis is <laughs> <laughs> one of the craziest places to police." I had no idea. Uh, was there some dread going back the next night then? So second night was a mixture of excitement because part of the reason I guess I'd never even thought about being a police officer before was because of that mindset of it's uh, boring, you know, like most nights you're just kind of ride around and talk to some people and, you know, maybe find a stolen car or something, but I, I just didn't know the extent of what you did. And so I guess that's why I'd never really thought about it before. Um, so after having the night I did on training day, um, I was like, <laughs> you know, yeah, this is more dangerous than I thought, but why? I mean, it's more exciting too, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this, Adrenaline this rush. Was, yeah, that was actually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Once I figure, once I figure it all out, like now, obviously there's a lot of nerves because I have nothing figured out mm-hmm. and I have a long way to go. And, you know, like I'm performing for my field training officer every night. I didn't know if he'd want me back after the first night, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> um, so I was nervous. It was a, it was a threefold feeling. I was excited because, wow, this is pretty fun. This is pretty cool. Like you said, it's an adrenaline rush. I was nervous to, um, to have a similar night with my FTO. So now he's going to expect me to have gloves be on. better. To be, <laughs> just, but yeah, have gloves on and be better though, right? Yeah. yeah. And how am I, how am I going to be better? after one night. So I was nervous about that. And then nervous about, you know, obviously having another night like that where, I mean, my actions put everyone's life in danger, depending on what I do, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was, it was kind of harrowing in that regard, Mm. but I was, but the, but the overall, like I was like, yeah, I want to go, I want to keep doing this. Like I'm not going to throw in the towel. Yeah. Well, let's, um, that's insane first night, but, uh, we're at, we'll kind of wrap this up, but what do you have another, uh, what was one of your craziest things that happened that you could story you can tell before we wrap this up? Um, that's a, that's a tough question. Too many, huh? Yeah. Well, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just give you a quick story of, of when I was off field training, I, I graduated from field training and I was back in fourth precinct actually, um, with a, my partner was a friend of mine. I'd made a friend from the Academy mm-hmm. and we'd been, so we'd been riding together on the street for a while. I think we're even off probation at this point. Cause after field training, you have, I think it's 90 days of probation where, you know, if you have any complaints or you screw anything up, they can fire you without any reason. The union can't even protect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd made it through. Yeah. We were off probation at this point. So we're riding around and we were kind of assigned to, uh, be community engagement. So our primary job was we weren't on one of the day watch, middle watch or dog watch shifts. We were kind of on our own. We were called the beat. And our main job was to kind of go to businesses or, you know, to stop and talk to people on the street, just kind of let the community know like, Hey, we're cops. We're cool. We're not here just to mm-hmm. mess with you or, um, you know, any of the negative perceptions that you hear about now, we were kind of there to dispel those perceptions. 
but my partner and I had kind of made a niche for ourselves and it, it was okayed through our sergeant after a while that after, you know, once things started to become busy around three, four o'clock in the afternoon that we'd start shagging 911 calls to help out the, 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 um, you know, the, the regular shift cops cause they'd become so overwhelmed. <clears throat> so anyway, we were, we were doing that and we were up on the North side of North Minneapolis. Um, we had just taken a 911 call from there when, when we just left that call and a, a dispatch came out and said, but, you know, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but basically a domestic, a domestic violence was going down, which was very, very common. That was probably our number one call, domestic violence, but a domestic violence with weapons. This dude had threatened his girlfriend with a gun and we, she said the address and we're like, whoa, we're right here. All right, we're taking it. So we call, we assign to it, and obviously <clears throat> other cops are assigned to it too. Anytime you hear that there's a weapon involved, you know, we're coming from all over to back each other up because that's a, a dangerous situation. So we show up at the address. It's uh, it's still daytime. It's a, a upper, lower duplex. So a single family on the bottom and a single family on top. And then, it, so we came in through the alley was our angle of approach. And there's a... a uh, covered stairwell so picture like if you if you were looking at the house from the alleyway there was just two walls and in between the walls were stairs that went up to the top but you couldn't really see in the stairs because it was all covered dark right so so this is like in the afternoon at, at dusk time it's not it's still light but but dark is coming <clears throat> so my partner and I were the first ones there we start making our way towards that um, staircase and the woman comes to the window and yells out, he has a gun up here. He has a gun up here. So we can't just go knock on the door now, right now it's a whole different situation. So we, we report that over the radio. And so now more cops come. Well, um, the, our gang unit, their plain clothes unit, they show up because they carry long guns, uh, you know, like M4 style weapons. And we don't, mm -hmm. <clears throat> some street cops do, but our squad didn't have one which is nice to have when you know someone uh, might be shooting at you. Um, so we hold back. We wait for more cops to show up. We surround the whole house, and we're kind of yelling up at him to come out, yelling up, at, yelling, yelling up at the house for the guy to come out. We can hear him, like, running back and forth up there from outside, like, stop, 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 stop. like looking for a way out, right? And she's kind of screaming, but we don't hear any gunshots. So we don't have any reason to, like, go breach. You know, we're keep trying to keep us safe and her safe if we mm -hmm. go busting in there who knows what he's going to do you know mm -hmm. um so that now it's dark we've been there for half an hour trying to call this guy out he won't come so so i'm in the backyard looking directly up the staircase and in front of that staircase there's a big tree a big round tree so i'm using that for cover i'm kind of standing behind that looking up the staircase in case he comes out right <clears throat> well all of a sudden we, i hear everybody hears, but I hear the, the door to that staircase open and slam shut like a screen, you know, you know how the screens do. Mm -hmm. So we know someone is now in the staircase, but you can't see up it. Even with a flashlight, you can only see the first three stairs, but we had our flashlights off cause we don't want to illuminate ourselves either. So I hear a step and then the unmistakable rack of, of a handgun, a, a, a semi-automatic handgun. That, I mean, unmistakable, right? Mm. So I yell out, gone, gone, gone. He's in the stairway. And then you just hear, 
you know, like cops echo that and everyone's, you know, you know, just amps up mm-hmm. the situation, but I'm looking directly at this stairway. So just to give you insight into what I was thinking, you know, I'd, I'd been on for a while at this point. I realize I'm like night one that I, I I'm going to have my gun out fairly frequently, but, um, I, and I've always been prepared to, but never thought I'd be in a situation where I actually had to shoot someone. Mm. But now I realize I'm directly in front of this dude. He might even be able to see me because it's still kind of dusky out. Mm-hmm. I can't see him. He just racked his gun, so he wants to fight. He wants to shoot it out with us. So I had to plan in my mind, like, all right, if he hits that bottom stair and or stairway, like, step, and I see his gun, I'm going to shoot. So I had that in my head, and I just had my gun drawn on the stairway. Just waiting for him to come down. He, and I heard him take a couple steps, and then all of a sudden you heard the door, the screen door open again. You hear him run through the house, and then you hear all the cops in the front of the house shouting, he's running, he's running. So he decided not to shoot it out, did a 180, ran out the front, and nobody caught him. Mm. <laughs> nobody caught the guy. He just ran out the front, and there was probably four or five cops out front, and just ran through all of them. Did he not? Did they not chase him, or did they not want to mess with him because he had a gun? No, no, they chased him. He, no, he dropped it. They saw him come out when he came out the front. He had no gun, and then I, oh. I actually went up to do the report with the with the woman who called, like because anytime there's a domestic, you have to do a full report on it, so, so that we can put it on that daily information daily information brief I was telling you about. But yeah, I found the gun up there, and there was one in the chamber, is ready to go. Oh. So he realized that. If he comes running out with the gun or with without a gun, he could get away. Versus if he had a gun, he might get shot. You think that's what he realized? I, that's probably what he was thinking. Yeah, in hindsight, I'd never thought about it that way. But yeah, that's probably true. Like if I come out blazing with the gun, they're going to shoot me. If I don't have anything in my hands, they're going to get they're going to be in trouble for shooting me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's probably exactly what he was thinking. But I never thought about that. But yeah. Which you in that situation calling out the gun and him knowing now you guys are back there too. He just was like, eh, I don't want to mess with, like, you know, I wonder what it made yep. him. He racked a gun, so he knew there was something going on. I think he wanted to fight. I think he took, and like I said, I could hear him take a couple steps, and I think he could see out. <clears throat> and behind me was, like I said, our gang squad with, and they look swatty, I guess, yeah. in appearance, you know, just kind of plain clothes with the, with the black body armor on and M4s. He probably saw them and was like, well... I might take one or two, but I'm losing this battle. So, uh, well, man, there, I, I don't feel like we even scratched the service. You're just gonna have to come on and do a part two. <laughs> we'll get right into the into more stories. But I appreciate you taking your evening to come on here and share with us kind of what goes on. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about your thoughts, like you, we were talking about before the podcast, with everything that's going on. You know, it's I. I just want to say I appreciate your service, you know, in the military, but I appreciate your service here because yeah, it's a whole nother. Very much so. It's one yep. one thing doing what we do in the military, but it's like you guys are constantly under scrutiny, and it's seems like a bad time to be a cop right now. You know, it's not it's not the best, definitely depending depending where you are. You know, so some some areas are still very very cool with their cops. <clears throat> Minneapolis then and definitely now was not one of them. Wow. Well, I'm going to, I'll be talking to you soon, dude. Uh, but uh, like I said, we got another guest coming on. So 
Again, man, I thank you. Again, appreciate your service. I mean, I know we're good friends and buddies, but I do mean that sincerely, like for what you what you did and what you're still doing. You're you're still in, right? I'm still in the military. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. And uh, yeah, thanks for the good questions and good comments. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> me too. Me too. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. Talk yeah, later. Nice to meet you. Thanks for listening, yeah. guys. We'll <laughs> see you on the next one.